0: welcome to this edition of the gateway podcast thanks for connecting with us to discover more about our faith community feel free to visit our website gatewaychurch.org.nz may this message be an encouragement to you so my talk is called are you envious and it's about the parable of the workers in the vineyard which is matthew 20 verses 1 to 16. it's the same parable that dan covered so well Um, as the parable of the servant friends a couple of weeks ago. So first I'll give you a narrative retelling of the passage, and then we'll look at two takeaways from that, one called, Will You Join the Kingdom? and the other one called, Are You Envious? This parable illustrates the sovereign graciousness and generosity of God extended to latecomers, which are the poor and outcasts of our society, into God's kingdom. It's addressed to the grumblers who cannot handle this amazing expression of God's grace. They almost certainly represent the religious leaders who opposed Jesus and the Jews who resented the later call of Gentiles to Christianity. Today, it could apply to us if we were envious Christians who didn't who felt that others were more blessed or didn't work as hard as us or didn't deserve a place in God's kingdom. For this parable, I'm gonna draw on two important lessons, an invitation to join God's kingdom and a challenge not to live with envy. So, The narrative retelling, um, it's it's just in contemporary language and it's meant to help break you out of just listening to Bible verses and perhaps see it in a fresh way. Um, One of the first times I did this in a church, a mate of mine who's here tonight actually shifted his chair away and suggested I was about to be struck by lightning. Um, I'm not pretending that this is the authoritative word of God and it's no substitute for a real Bible translation. It's just another way of hearing the story. So here goes. To help us understand the kingdom of heaven, think about a classy winemaker who went out early in the morning to hire gig economy workers to prune the vines in his vineyard. Gathering a group together, they struck a deal. He would pay them $265 for a day's work, which is 12 hours at the living wage, because the winemaker is not a minimum wage employer. He showed them the way to his vineyard on the edge of the village and prime Marlborough vineyard country on a pristine day. At about 9am, the winemaker went back to the village and found more gig economies about standing around, filling with their phones and posting on Insta. Stepping off his line scooter, he told them his offer, if you want to work today, brothers, come along to my vineyard and I will pay you fairly for your work. So they took a selfie together and went with him to the vineyard. The winemaker went into the village again at 12 noon and at 3pm, each time finding more workers and making the same offer, which they accepted, more Insta posts. This time it was almost 5pm when the winemaker returned to the village and found another group of gig economy workers hanging out with nothing to do. A few Uber drivers were parked up as there was not much action and it was too early for the nightclub cloud heading for Blenheim. He asked incredulously, what's up with standing here all day on your phones and doing nothing? "'No one's hired us today, mate. Pretty slow gig in this village,' they replied. "'Rattle your dags, go and work in my vineyard, "'get something productive out of the last hour of the day at least,' he told them. At knock-off time at 6pm, the winemaker called his off who'd been supervising the pruning and told him to call in all the workers, paying their wages starting with the ones hired last at 5pm and going on to the early starters. The workers and the Uber drivers hired at 5pm came and each were paid $265.' They were so stoked. One Uber driver had wondered where he was going, how he was going to fill his petrol tank for that night and hadn't eaten all day. Someone else had been, was behind on their rent and had been skimping on groceries for a month. Everyone was overjoyed at the generosity they had re- received. This is a sick gig, winemaker. You're the man. We love you. So when those who had been hired first, having jacked themselves out of bed to be in the village at 6am like, ready for work, and who'd been through the heat of the day working hard, came to be paid, they'd convinced themselves that they would receive more. But each worker was paid $265 or so. They waved their preloaded debit cards they'd received and began to whinge heartily against the winemaker. The spokesperson was an Aussie joker. Unbelievable! Fair dinkum, mate! This is so far from a fair suck of the sav that it's not funny. Those layabouts who were hired last only worked a measly hour, and users make them equal to us, hard-working types, who cracked on with the hardest work for the whole day and in this flaming heat. So the winemaker answered the Australian, mate, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you sign up to this deal, $265 for 12 hours' work? Take your stash and move on, buddy. I happen to want to give the worker hired last, the same as I gave you, the same deal, The same shake of the sauce bottle. Don't I have every right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Jesus concludes this parable saying, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So let's talk about part one. Will you join the kingdom? Thinking about the agreement with the workers, who hires them? So God is the winemaker. And he hires laborers not because he needs them or their services, but as a charity, keeping people from poverty and idleness. It's God's grace to give those who follow him real lives of purpose. They are hired out of the marketplace where they stand idle. Now our souls and spirits stand ready to be hired into service, either as servants of Satan or servants of God. If we are not in God, we are idle and not doing the great work that God has called us into. What are they hired to do? Labor in God's vineyard is in the church, communities of believers where we contribute our gifts to support each other. We also have our own vineyards of our lives to keep, and we need to be diligent laborers in this, not lazing our way out of the kingdom. Now their wages are a day's pay for a day's work, the same as a Roman soldier was paid. Note there's no proportion between our service and our reward, given the grace of God's gift of eternal life. So we are unprofitable servants. We have only done our duty. The term that they are hired for is a day. In terms of the parable, we need to understand that this is the life we are called to live for God. is just a day, just to do the work we were called to do in this world. This should fire us up and focus our efforts to achieve that before our time on earth is over. We should also be encouraged to persevere through hardships and difficulties because they won't remain for too long. Now, the workers were hired on several different times of the day, and there's a couple of interpretations of that. One is that the apostles were sent out in the first and third hour of the Gospel Day as their first and second missions while Christ was on earth. After Christ's ascension, um, in the sixth and ninth hour, they were sent out on the same mission, preaching to the Jews of Judea, and then further out to the dispersed Jews Um, of the known world. About the 11th hour, they called the Gentiles to the same work and privilege as the Jews and told them there should be no difference between Jew and Gentile. Now there's another interpretation, which is the age at which believers respond to the call of conversion as the hour that they started work. So those called first um, and begin work in the vineyard very young, have their early years seasoned with grace and understanding of God. So that's examples like John the Baptist, who was sanctified from the womb. Um, Timothy was, was a believer for, as a child. Obadiah feared the Lord from his youth. Now that might be the story for many of us here. Um, if you have had a Christian family upbringing, you've been taught in the ways of God, and this may have led you to faith and following Christ. And that's my story. I'm in the middle of uh, three brothers. Um, I'm only, so far the only one to choose discipleship and baptism. And I've been on that road through thick and thin for uh, 33 years since I was 15 years old. And I didn't believe and realise some of the blessing of that soaking in God's story and God's word until I helped disciple um, a university student um, who came to faith about 20 years old. And I realised that those, of us, those who come to faith without a Christian background have a lot, of, a lot of knowledge to make up and a lot of questions to answer. And so um, we should feel blessed um, by years of um, experience in church as kids, and through kids' programs and youth groups, and all the things that come and follow. Secondly, those called to work in the vineyard in middle age correspond to the sixth, uh, third, sixth, and ninth hour. So God's power and grace is poured out on the middle of uh, on those people in the middle of their worldly midlife careers, in spite of um, materialism and consumer distractions. Um, An example is is Paul. He was a legalistic religious bigot who became the greatest apostle, who wrote the bulk of the New Testament and pioneered missions to the Gentiles. So God has work and purpose for people of all ages, and there's no better time than now um, to turn from sin. God will turn away no one who's willing to be hired because there's always room in his kingdom. Thirdly, others are hired into the vineyard in old age, in the 11th hour with only one hour of the clock to run. No one is hard at the twelfth hour when life is over and the opportunity is gone. But while there's life, there is hope. There's hope for old sinners to turn to God in sincerity. Their true repentance will be accepted. There's hope of old sinners that they may be brought to repentance. Nothing is too hard for God to do. And look, as an aside, um, that's one of the things that is concerning about the end of life choice bill is that it might rob people of that time when God is stripping away their defences and pretenses and trying to get through to them, um, and they may miss that opportunity uh, to turn to, to him. However, there is a reason that Hebrews 4 verse 7 says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't put off your repentance until you are old. Those sent into the vineyard at the 11th hour had not been hired, and no one had offered to hire them yet. The Gentiles came at the eleventh hour, but that was because the gospel had not been preached to them. Those who had gospel offers made to them earlier in the third or sixth hour and have refused them cannot say they've never been offered work, and neither are they sure that they will be offered the work in the ninth or eleventh hours. Now, coming to follow Jesus and being baptised is a process that I like to call being under new ownership. If you think about a a cafe with that sign up, it's been changed over, you'll find a new menu, everything's different. We passed from being idlers in the marketplace to being workers in God's vineyard, and instead of being lost and dead in our sins, we're alive in Christ and under new ownership. I think there are three groups of people here tonight I'd like to say something to each of of you. Um, First of all, you're not baptised and don't yet follow Jesus. Secondly, uh, you're not baptised but are following Jesus. And thirdly, you are baptised. So for that first group, you're not baptized, don't follow Jesus. If that's you, I'm so glad you're here. Um, Maybe it's because you're looking at Christianity to see if it's for real. Some of the best conversations I've had have been with people who have been trying to understand what following Jesus means, um, and they weren't yet convinced, um, and they wanted to decide it was for them. As a university student, I spent two years running a Bible study for people in that situation who wanted to understand Christianity and living for Jesus. It is really important to understand what you're letting yourself in for. It isn't a walk in the park, and it's not something to dabble your toes in um, and pull out of later. Understand that it's a game-changing experience. It should make you a different person, embarking under new ownership into a life where you've given Jesus the reins and entrusted the guidance of your life to the Most High God. It may make you an outcast from your family um, or friends, I hope not. So living a life of significance in a countercultural way does go against the grain in today's society. I hope you choose the best and offer your life to Jesus. So I encourage you to talk to some people here that you trust, um, talk to the pastoral team, um, and get your questions answered. Secondly, you're not not baptised, but you are following Jesus. So if you're part of this group, you may have um, grown up in a Christian home or come to know Jesus, and you haven't made that step into baptism. You have a faith decision, but you haven't progressed uh, to that next step. You're living as a follower of Jesus, you know what you're up for, and you're committed to the journey, and that's important because getting baptized is not like friending Jesus on Facebook and then being able to unfriend him later. You can't simply uh, go back to the way you were. It's to do what you've seen others do at baptism services, standing in the water, declaring they'll follow no one else, being plunged under the water dead to self, and arising soaked and alive in Christ. I went to a baptism service in Taranaki almost 10 years ago and the young lady who was being baptised said, I've come to the time in my life where I want Jesus to be the centre. And that was it. That's the best word for word baptism testimony I've ever heard. And that's what being under new ownership is about, Jesus being at the centre. Being under new ownership in the spiritual realm is a strong message to everyone this is what your life is about. So my message to you is come on in, the water is fine. So thirdly, if you're baptised, and as this group, if if you're here at 7pm-ish on a Sunday night, you're probably committed, hardcore. Um, I want to congratulate you on your journey as followers. And I want to challenge you as I lay the same challenge on myself. How distinctly Christ-like are you? Is there visible evidence that you are under new ownership? and continuing to journey towards all that Christ would have for you. Another way of putting this is if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I've wrestled with this question as I look at my own life. There's times when I've got visible activities in my life that I know are giving me the opportunity to serve others, to make a difference and have an avenue to witness to the good news of Jesus. While I was part of Urban Vision, I remember Justin Duckworth challenging us on this. Um, this was a long time ago, but you may remember him from the news. He was this barefoot Maori guy who became the Bishop of Wellington. He's an awesome guy. Um, he challenged us to always have good stories of serving Jesus and never let our stories get too old. The challenge of following Jesus for a long time is to ensure you haven't got comfortable with where you are and maybe you're living off the past. Good stories of work done for God's kingdom some time ago. So I encourage you, don't let your fire die down don't get comfortable within a Christian context. We all need to have people and places where we are in meaningful contact with people who aren't part of the church. I guess the conclusion I've come to is that at my time of life, I've got an important role in in raising my children to the point where they can make a decision to follow Jesus for themselves, and I need to ensure that I have some authentic avenues to share my faith and make a difference outside the church context, and I'm still working on that. So I've found meaning in a couple of uh, new mission fields lately. So as I mentioned before, serving as a pris- prison chaplaincy volunteer at Waikuria as part of a small team from this church means that I, I get to give a message and lead worship to, with small groups of prisoners and encourage them in the work as, as Christians. And I'm involved with Arosha Aotearoa New Zealand, um, which is a Christian environmental group cre- promoting creation care. So one of the projects that they run that I help out with is I go out to Raglan and we trap rats on Mount Karioi and that's all to protect the, the grey fresh petrol. So these are a couple of things that I can talk about at work and people hear week on, week out and that's some of the things that was, that was, that was talked about if you were at the church service this morning is about having some things that you talk about which really reflect what you love um, and what's important to you. So can I challenge you as a baptised follower of Jesus to ask yourself those questions and take that to God in prayer. How distinctly Christ-like are you? Is there visible evidence that you are under new ownership and continuing to journey towards all that Christ would have for you? Let's talk about part two. Are you envious? So at the end of history, those who belong in the kingdom of God will receive their reward. Romans 2.7 says, to those who by persistence in doing good, Seek glory, honour, and immortality, he will give eternal life. The key part of this parable is that all the workers received the same pay. Those who worked for only one hour did not get a prorata, they got full pay. And those who worked the whole day did not get more. This is designed to show that God distributes his eternal reward by grace and sovereignty and not by debt. Let's look at the murmuring and complaint of verses 11 and 12, which was our Aussie joker. They complain of having shouldered the full day of work and the heat of the day and that those who came later have been made equal to them. Here we can draw this parallel from, from the situation of the Gentiles, newly called into God's kingdom but enjoying as many privileges as the Jews have who labored for so long in the vineyard of the Old Testament church and under the yoke of the ceremonial law awaiting the coming of the Messiah's kingdom. So you can imagine what it was like then. They'd been sacrificing and and under this old covenant, the difficult laws to follow, etc. and all of a sudden the rules change. The jealousy of the Jews comes up in Acts and is condemned by Paul on numerous occasions as the Jews try to impose Jewish customs on the Gentiles or oppose the gospel. We could also suffer from the same type of jealousy, seeing others with more of God's favour or less of God's work than we do. The owner of the vineyard responds that the complainant has no reason to say they've been wronged. In the first place, it is uncontestably true that God can do no wrong. The prerogative pror- of the King of Kings and the Creator of the universe is that what he says goes. Is there any unrighteousness in God? No way. God's word should silence our complaints. Regardless of what he does or withholds from us, he does no wrong. Secondly, we have to remember that God's grace given to others but withheld from us is a kindness to them, but it's not an injustice to us. We cannot complain about free grace given to others. That's God's choice. The owner of the vineyard reminds the complainer of the bargain. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. Let's think for a moment about what we would receive if we got what we deserve from God. Even the very best of us, Mother Teresa, Bishop, uh, sorry, Bishop uh, Desmond Tutu, um, they all fall completely short of God's standard without the saving grace of Jesus, let alone us. What we have is a gift of God, so we must be content with what things we have. This is different from being jealous of others seemingly more blessed than we are. We are more un- unprofitable servants and we receive much more than we deserve. The owner of the vineyard have every right to give his own money, however he chose. I want to give the man hired the last, last, the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? God is the owner of everything good, and hence he gives or withholds blessings as he chooses. If we look at verse 15, those words, are you envious, literally means, is your eye evil? Apparently the evil eye was associated with jealousy and envy, with the example being when Saul became jealous of the people's praise of David's military accomplishments, he eyed David from that day on, which we can see in 1 Samuel uh, 18 verse 9. The complaining worker has no reason to envy or begrudge the fellow workers for not coming to the vineyard earlier because they were not called earlier. But is envy so bad? Meryl Perlman says that envy derives from the Latin word invidia, which means to look askance upon, as in giving someone the evil eye. Its previous uses include malice and spite, so envy isn't as benign as some might have it. Jealousy and envy are related here to the eye, often both as the inlet and outlet of the sin. Envy is displeased at the good that comes to others and desires that they would be deprived of or hurt. What could be more evil? It grieves ourselves, angers God, it is an ill ill will to our neighbour. Envy is a sin without pleasure, profit or honour. So here's some examples of what envy looks like. Cain killed Abel because he was envious of God's approval of his sacrifice. Korah was swallowed up by the ground because of his envy of Moses' leadership position. And because I'm an equal opportunities kind of guy, there's a couple of ladies uh, Leah was envious of the love Jake, uh, Jacob had for Rachel, and Rachel was envious of Leah's ability to have children. So it's, it's everybody. We're all uh, all in the gun for this. William Kennedy has written, It is not a sin to be tempted to envy, but if it is allowed to live in Festa, it becomes destructive. Why is envy sin? Because it d- divides people. It destroys relationships, sows discord, and creates a spirit of bitterness and evil it causes people to act and speak in toxic ways to become envious is definitely a sin as defined as such in God's word let's look at a couple of those places for where there is envy and selfish ambition there will be also disorder and wickedness of every kind from james 3 verse 16 and proverbs 14 verse 30 a heart at peace gives life to the bones but em- to the body but envy rots the bones In contrast, a generous spirit wants what is best for others and celebrates when others prosper. And in this case, envy is aggravated because it rages against God's generosity. Envy is a contradiction to and opposition of God's grace to those not yet in his kingdom, extending the grace to allow them envy and blessings, entering blessings on the same terms as everyone already inside. So, the big question then is what can we do to avoid envy? Firstly, recognize when you are envious. So from Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21, now the works of of the flesh are obvious, envy and the alike. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What I try to do is catch myself um, when I'm observing someone's good fortune. That might be the latest iPhone. It might be being popular within crowd, uh, getting on the property ladder with a flash house. Um, a flash car or a glittering career. So instead of making comparisons, I say to myself, um, I'm really happy for them. They must, they've must they obviously worked really hard to achieve that. Fantastic. So therefore, I'm choosing with my will to get rid of envy, and that's how we put it, put it away from ourselves. If we do fall into envy, we can confess it as sin and accept forgiveness. In 1 John nine, it says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Thirdly, um, accept who you are, as you are, with gratitude. Develop a thankful heart for how God made you and accept your height, your weight, your job, your skills, your abilities, your family, your friends, your bank account and your social media followers. Thank God for all these things and don't compare yourself to anyone else. Now, not comparing yourself to someone else can be hard uh, if you spend a lot lot of time watching everyone's perfect lives on Insta or their wonderful dance moves on TikTok, but maybe you just need to put that stuff to one side. Learn the joy of giving to others. Now, that might seem a bit counterintuitive, but envy is rooted in selfishness. It's just focused on the desires of the envious person. So the way to reverse the envy programming is to share our material possessions praise the success of others, and encourage other people in achieving their goals. This does the opposite of our sinful nature and resets our sinful patterns, and it shows God we're partnering with him and renewing our minds. And finally, keep earthly intentions in heavenly perspective. When our time on earth is over, we will leave everything behind. Our gym-toned bodies will return to dust. The wardrobe of clothes and shoes, the shiny card, the overpriced house, the university degree and our bank account remains behind on planet Earth. There's no pockets in the shroud. Let's all remember that only two things depart and enter heaven, the people of God and God's word. So give priority to giving God's word to people and living it ourselves. So now let's just stand back and consider the overall picture from this parable just before the parable starts in, verse, uh, in chapter 19, verse 30, and at the end, Jesus proclaims the lesson of this parable. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So Jesus is speaking to the Jewish leaders, full of their superiority as God's chosen people, and the first Jewish converts had their, who had their head start in the New Covenant to silence their boasting. His message is that they may be outstripped by those who would follow. The Gentile church, as yet unborn, standing on un- idle in the marketplace, would produce greater numbers of useful Christians than were found among the Jews. More are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has an husband, says the Lord, in Isaiah 54, verse 1. Who knows what workers may yet be sent into the vineyard in the 11th hour of the church's day, and what amazing works of the Holy Spirit are yet to come, above of what has been seen yet. Musicians, can you join me please? So as we bring this to a close, um, hopefully I've got some action-packed um, conclusion for you here, so listen to the actions. Uh, God has graciously and generously reached out to the poor and outcasts of society and anyone who is outside of his kingdom. We should be God's instruments to extend his, extend his grace to latecomers to his kingdom. We should not resent God's authority or generosity, or feel that we are more deserving than anyone else. We should feel grateful for God's call and respond. We need to respond to God's call and work diligently for him in the time we have on earth. So if you haven't accepted Jesus, find out more and ask him to lead your life. If you haven't been baptized, get serious and get baptized. If you are baptized, push on and make the most of the life you are to lead for Christ. If you are on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If we're envious, we need to recognise it as such and repent. We should accept who we are and what we have with gratitude and not compare ourselves to others. We can reprogram ourselves out of selfish envy by joyful giving, and we have to remember that there is no pockets in a shroud. Invest in what will endure, God's people and God's word. There's a bible.org lesson called Envy the Green Vide Torrent that has this to say. It's God's intention that our hearts and minds ought to be focused on new goals and that our conduct should be controlled by new standards. As we deliberately turn away from the old and embrace the new, we are not going to keep looking over our shoulder to see who's coming up with us. Instead, we'll follow the spirits leading for our own lives and choose to be grateful for everything God does for us. This will ultimately be the way envy is rooted out of our hearts. I'll close with a quote from Martin Luther King. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? If we are asking that question of ourselves, we will be reprogramming ourselves out of selfish envy by joyous giving. And there is no question that more of that is needed in our world today. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website gatewaychurch.org.nz